The Seder, here we are, ladies. We're opening up a new Chumash. Our new Chumash and our Parsha have the same name. So it is Chumash Bamidbar, and we're also doing Parsha's Bamidbar. Wow. Um, in English. Amber, Numbers. what's the name in English? Numbers. Numbers. Exactly. I, I just told Amber, that's why I asked her. Um, uh, so it's the Book of Numbers, and we've discussed this before, but I just very briefly, I'm going to say that in, in the... You know, our, the name that we know, Chomish Bamidbar, is as Chomish Bamidbar, but it's also called either Chomish Hapikudim or Sefer Hapikudim, the book of counting, um, because there is lots of counting going on in the book. Now, if you actually look at the whole Chomish Bamidbar, there isn't, it's in the beginning and it's at the end, but there's something very, um, something very central about that, that place of the counting, which we're going to talk about a little bit. So let's start off. We're going to go, we have a bunch of things that we need to discuss. First thing we're going to do is we're going to run through our parsha. So the first thing we have is we have Hashem speaking to Moshe. And instead of that being a very familiar pasuk, right? Probably the first pasuk we all learned in Chomish is Hashem speaks to Moshe saying. It's the easiest one to learn. But here we have a lot, a lot of addendums. Where was it? When was it? Blah, blah, blah. And he says to him, Count or also lift up the heads of all the Jewish people, Limish Bechotam, this is the first time that the Jewish people are being counted as families, not just the first time they're counted when they leave Israel, when they, sorry, when they leave Egypt, it's just a general number, this is how many people left, then we start having count, uh, count um, th- th- and this count here, because there's a count um, that they had, be- I think this is the one, the yeah, this is the second one. The second count already because they counted them when the Mishkan was set up a year ago and now they're getting set up again. They're getting counted again and now they're being counted by families. So there's a very much, you know, like in, in and we're going to talk about this also, the, the klal and the prat, the individual and the community, right? So is it just we, the Jewish people or is it we in our more, in our smaller individual unit and how does that work together? So we have over here, we're counting the men from 20 and older, um, everybody who goes to the army. Um, and, and, uh, and then we're gonna have, the first thing we're gonna have is easy. We're gonna have the names of the people, each head of each tribe that goes along with the counting. And then we end up having a lot of numbers. We have a lot of numbers. And most of us, if, I'm, if I think if we're gonna be honest, we sort of glaze over the numbers. Mm-hmm. We don't pay attention. Yeah, just keep going. Like, yeah. Also, you know, the numbers in Hebrew are written backwards. So you got to figure that one out a little bit. Oh, yeah, we're so confusing. Yeah. So, yeah. So, we have, so the first thing that we're going to have is a count of each tribe. Okay? And then the next Ali is going to take... We're going to start to set up the Jewish camp. Okay? So, what is the camp? Amber, can I erase your... I'll just work on the side over here. <laughs> I'm going to work on the side a second, okay? So we have the conversation. Here's the tabernacle. Here's the mishkan. And we're going to start talking about the Jewish, the, Jewish, uh, the Jewish people as camps. And each camp is going to have a flag, okay? And each under each flag, each flag is going to have one tribe name. So we're having Yehuda's going to be over here. Reuben's going to be in the south. Ephraim's going to be over here in the west. Dan's going to be up in the north. And under each flag are going to be another two tribes. So the first one, so just for, for a second, we have, don't judge my art, okay? Just don't. Okay, here on the north, south, and west 
right around the Mishkan, we're going to have later on in the Chumash, in this, sorry, in this parasha, we're going to have later on, the tribes, no, the families of the Levites are going to be, uh, are going to be told where they can. Moshe and Aaron are over here at the entrance. So you have the Mishkan, then you have the Levites, and then you have the Jewish, the greater Jewish people behind them. Okay? And the Torah goes, and every single time the Torah does this, so we had, the, it doesn't just say, under the camp of, you know, Yehuda is with Yisachar and Zebulon, and, or, I don't remember, I think that might not be true. Um, no, uh, Yehuda is, where's Yehuda? Oh, the Mizrach, okay. Yeah, oh yeah, Yehuda, Yisachar, and Zebulun. Okay? It doesn't just say total. It says Yehuda, the number. Yisachar, the number. That we just read the Aliyah before. Zebulun, the number, and their total is. So we are going to... And then, after we get all of those numbers, we're going to have the total of all the Jewish people together. So there is very, very... We're not going to go through the... I mean, we could go through it, but I don't want to waste everybody's time. That's going to be the majority of this, of this Parsha, is going to be those levels of detail... And we're going to talk about it, so I just, but I just want to run through first and see what's going on over here. So if we place everybody, I do want to do this for a second. So this is Yehuda. Yehuda is with Yisachar and Zebulun. Okay. Zebulun. Who's down here? Is going to be Reuven in the south. Who's with Reuven? If you were to guess. Shimon. Shimon. Not Levi, because Levi is over here. Dan? You gotta look inside. Don't guess. It's not gonna make it up. God. No. Okay, and God. Okay. Then in the back over here we have Ephraim. We, sorry, he's in the flag, right? Ephraim is in the flag. Ephraim is in the flag. Who's with Ephraim? You could. This should be an easy guess. You could probably guess this one. Um, Ephraim and Menasha. And who's his third one? Benjamin. And Benjamin. Menasha and Benjamin. Okay, and on the top we have the tribe, the flag of Dan. Who's with Dan? Um, Asha and Naftali. Asha and Naftali. Okay. Yehuda, that says down there? This says Yehuda. No, no. This says Reuven. Oh, Reuven. Second. It's my handwriting also. Okay, so a quick look over here. You'll see these are the children of Rachel. These are going to be the children of Leah. And one of the children of the handmaidens and the other children of the handmaidens. So there's going to be like this whole situation that's going on in the balance of how things are going to work. Um, and then over here we have, like I said, here we have the tribe of ladies in the middle. There's a whole bigger conversation, but I, I want to get back to that, okay? I'm going to come back to that in a second. Then the next thing that we're going to have is that the, that the tribe of Levi gets counted separately. And if the Jewish people were counted from 20 and up, the tribe of Levi gets counted. Anybody? Um, you can either oh, guess or you can look at the Chumash. One month? From one month old. From one month old, exactly. Why? Okay, so one second. First of all, let, actually we skip something. If you look at chapter 3, we say, it, tell, it tells us these are it's worth the introduction to Levi. We have, it says, these are the children of Aaron and Moshe on the day that Hashem spoke to them at Har Sinai, and the names of Aaron's children are Nadavi, Olazar, and Tamar. Parenthetically, right, because the day that Hashem spoke to them at Sinai, Aaron had four children. But later on, that, that, uh, that, then we have over here again, then we have the children of Aaron who end up, they become, they become Kohanim, and it tells us that Nadav and Eviu died, and Elazar and Tamar become the 
the the become the the Kohanim instead. Um, and Rashi says, Hakon tells us the children of Moshe and Aaron. It doesn't give us uh, Moshe's children; just gives us Aaron's children, right? And it's, and Rashi says this is to teach you that somebody who teaches, if you teach your friend's child Torah. The, the, the Torah counts it as if you gave birth to them. Okay? And it actually has halachic ramifications. And when we, okay, now I want to just say one thing. When we talk about if you teach somebody Torah, you, it, is as if, it is as if you gave birth to them. It's not necessarily, although it could be, it's not necessarily like your first grade teacher who was like so cute, but somebody who gave you your core identity of Torah, that's considered as if you gave birth to that person. Okay? So it's not just like, Oh, there's different things about somebody who, you know, teaches you a line and the respect you need to have. But when you talk about that, it's considered as if you gave birth to them. It's talking about who's somebody who sort of stood you up as a Torah learner, as a Torah, you know, thing. Um, so, so Moshe clearly was that person. He was clearly that person of somebody who, um, you know, taught Torah to the Jewish people. And it's very interesting. One of the commentators talks about the fact that why aren't all the children of Israel called the children of Moshe? He didn't only teach, you know, Aaron's children. He taught everybody, um, everybody the, you know, Torah. But the level of dedication, and, and they say, and from more from the Bali Musr, but the level, the level of dedication that Aaron's sons had in learning and receiving was greater than anybody else that was going on around there. Parenthetically, one of the people who is also considered Moshe's child or his, like his successor is, anybody? Yoshua. Yoshua. So where we don't see Moshe's children being his continuation on a spiritual level, but you do see that coming through Yoshua and then again through Aaron's children. You have a question? Would the halakhic ramifications be like sitting shiva for that person? Halakhic ramifications have to do with for example, if your parent, if your if your father and your teacher both lost an object, who do you have to help first? If both of them are drowning at sea, who do you have to save first? Um, like that kind of level of of of, uh, of you know, we're talking about halacha like that. And they, again, we're not just talking about oh, that was my you know chumash teacher in whatever in sixth grade, but uh, but yeah. So it's 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 talking about people who gave you really your identity as. Um, as a Torah person, as a to- it's connecting you to Hashem. So then, the next thing that we have over here after this little after this sidebar of the children is that we're going to start. We're separating the Levim and we're going to count the Levim separately. I think Shulu, you said that correctly that they get counted from one month old. Okay, so before we start counting them, we first of all Hashem says that they become the. I'm taking the Levites there in place of the firstborns because if we remember. Plan A was that the firstborns were going to serve in the, in the Mishkan. They messed up by the Egel, so therefore it goes to the next, it, go, it goes over they to... They messed up by the Egel. The firstborns were involved with the sinning of the, the, sin yeah. of the golden calf. Mm. But the Levites weren't, so the Levites go to the God team and the... And, and then oh. what's going to happen now is... We're, so we're going to have now, we have the counting of the Levites from one month old... Um, and before we do that, we, it's going to give us the names of all the families and how many were in each family, blah, blah, blah. And it tells us what jobs they had because each of the, the, the families of uh, the Levites were there to help the Kohanim. So here it's going to tell us when the Mishkan is moving, what job do the Levites have? Packing it up. 
but everybody gets a different job. Yeah. What part of the pack-up do you have? So the children of Kahas, they get the holy stuff. The children of Merari, they have the beams. The children of, uh, 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 the, sorry, Gershon has the, I'm making this up, somebody should look inside. I know Kahas has the holy stuff. Gershon and Merari, one have the beams and one have, um, Gershon has to take the tent part, the covering. Right, so that's 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 curtains, and then somebody else has. So t- who Gershon has the has the coverings, and Murari has the beams and all the sockets and all the really heavy stuff. So we have what's going on over here, and then we have the total of the levim is going to come out to be twenty two thousand three hundred and something, huh? Okay, you're saying it's a lot of people, but guess what? The Ramban, Nachmanides calculates the Levites were counted from one month. The Jewish people are counted from 20. The Levites, if you, were to, if you were to calculate how many of those Levites, Levites are 22,000 and change, right? Yeah. Calculate how many, and he, he, the Ramban takes it from other places, the 20 and older Levites were less than half of the smallest tribe. The smallest tribe is, I think, is the tribe of Menashe. Yeah. I think they have the smallest, they have the, lo- the largest, the smallest tribe. Yudah has the largest tribe. They have like 76,000 something, whatever. Um, the Levites have the smallest tribe by far. Even if you take the number straight out, 22,000 and change, there's still about 8,000, uh, almost 10,000 less than Menashe, which is, I think, 32,000 something, right? So there's... And they're counting just the twenties, and they're counting the months, the month, the month year olds, yeah. you know, right? So it's interesting that the, the Mepharshim talk, yeah, right, <laughs> right. So the so the Mepharshim talk about the idea, like, what's the deal? What? Why do they? Why are they such a small tribe? And we know that the Jews in Egypt were given a bracha, and it says that as Paro afflicted them, kasher yanu oisam ken yifritz v'ken yirba. As, as Paro afflicted them, that's how they multiplied and that's how they grew. And there was a bracha in the affliction. As much as they were... And they weren't afflicted. And Levi wasn't afflicted. Levi wasn't part of, the, Levi wasn't part of the, the slavery in Egypt. So their birth rate is a natural birth rate, not a miraculous birth rate. Okay, and Wait, why were they part of it? Because they, it, it's, it goes back to, and I'll, I'm happy to discuss with you afterwards about in the beginning how they never went into it, and they were... And they, they, were, they didn't actually do the slavery. And the Mepharshim talk about the idea, we never, you know, every single day, this is my little editing to the Mepharshim, right? Every single day in morning brachas, one of the first things we say is, al God, do not test me. Do not test me. I do not want to be tested. But the Mepharshim talk about the idea that when we are in a place of test, challenge, pain, struggle, all of those words, then we need to know that within that is the bracha. That there is going to be a bracha that's going to follow. And it's not just, oh, the people in the, ge- in the generation of Egypt, if they, you know, they were afflicted, therefore they got good and they multiplied. It's a, it's a forever promise. It's a forever promise that when we are in a place of struggle and we get through, we should know that Hashem is really there with us and we will see brachas and we should. We really, really want to just see the brachas without the struggle. That would be really awesome if we could just see Hashem's hand and the brachas and all the good stuff and not have to struggle. The reality is that it doesn't always work like that. So we're, we're, our bracha and what we're asking for is that we should just have the goodness without the struggle 
and we'll, you know, and leave the, the, the other part. If, it, if we struggle, we should also, you know. Anyway, so that's, that's about the Levium over here. And then the next thing we're going to have is um, right over here in chapter 3, verse 44, we have the mitzvah of uh, Pigeon Haben, okay, of redeeming the firstborns, because what happens is the first, if the Levites are in place of the firstborns, so the first generation is actually going to do a one-on-one switch. That means one Levite is going to switch out one firstborn Israelite. Okay? So they take the count. They take account of the Levites. They say, how many of the Levites are themselves firstborns? Okay? Because like this. Imagine like this. I'm a firstborn. I have to work in the house of Hashem. But now I lost that privilege. So I am a... I'm a come on, Aviv. It'll be easier to show me. Come Aviv's a Levite, and I'm a firstborn, okay? I was supposed to work in the house of Hashem, but now Aviv gets that privilege. So we have to switch out. And now she is working in the house of Hashem. Now, if I was a Levite and a firstborn, I would switch myself out. And I would still be, I'm the firstborn Levite who's on the, who's on the work of Hashem place. So does the Israelite... Gain lady status? No, no, no. The Israelite is home free. You're on your own. Have a nice life. Okay. Serve Hashem in your own space, okay. in your own way. Um, what's interesting is that there was a small number of, um, there were, I think, 237 more Israelite firstborns than there were Levites. And so they were told that those people are going to pay five shekels, five silver shekels, and that's how they're going to get their redemption. And we know today the process of Pitya Ben is that if somebody has a firstborn natural birth uh, male child, all those... Why natural so birth? Your second never get son. No. Nope. They say, these are the qualifications. Firstborn, first delivery, natural birth. I still don't get it. The, uh, I'll say that. Uh, then you have to actually buy back your child from the Levite, from the Kohen. There's a whole ceremony that happens. And since you need to have all those qualifications, it happens to be a kind of rare thing to happen. So if your firstborn is a girl, you're not going to have a pigeon of in. If, you're first, if you had a C-section, if you ever had a miscarriage, all these kind of things are going to knock out the... Have you had a miscarriage? Yeah. Really? Yeah. So take it up and with an LOR. What, what, exactly, what? what was the term of miscarriage? What? It, was, it also depends what was term of miscarriage. Take it up with an LOR. I'm not an LOR. I'm just giving you like broad strokes for it, right? So, uh, so today we do it with a switch out. They have a whole ceremony and, you know. But what if uh, one parent is a Kohen? If one parent is a Kohen or a lady, if a father is a Kohen or a lady, if the mother is a daughter of a Kohen or a daughter of a lady, they don't do it. So, like, there's a lot of ways that it gets knocked out. Okay, it's, it's, it's confusing. It's unusual. It's not like, oh, every boy at eight days is going to have a bris or whenever they're healthy enough to have a bris. We're not talking about that. We're talking about, like, it becomes a much more, uh, it's, it's a much more special thing. And in fact, I know somebody who has five generations that they all had pigeon a bin. And that's crazy unusual. That's crazy unusual because it's really five generations. five generations where it was a firstborn son and a firstborn son wow. and a firstborn son and none of the other, you know, disqualifying factors came in and that that that's quite unusual. Nobody had a C-section. Nobody had a C-section. Nobody was a lady. Nobody was like it was. They were all firstborn, but it's like all different kinds of stuff going on. It was pretty pretty amazing. The first generation, Moshe realized we're not going to easily say 
Um, some random 237, I think that's the number, I think it's 237, people volunteered to pay the money. Everything they, oh no, I would switch out with a lady. I would switch out with a lady. So he had a big pot and on it was like whatever they had. I'm sure they didn't have paper because they didn't have paper. Maybe they had um, stones or whatever they had. And everybody picked one and some said, some said shekel and some were, and some were blank. So if you got a blank one, you would switch out with a lady and otherwise you, pay, you paid your five shekels and that's the source of pidyon abed. Parenthetically, we also have, we have to also, um, we have a pidyon abed for animals. A firstborn animal has, it's called petrechem. It's a whole different kind of situation of what happens over there. They have to be redeemed. Okay. Then we have a little bit about the kohanim and the, sorry, the levim and how they work. Um, and oh, and so the end, the last aliyah starts talking about um, travel, the Jews traveling. So it talks about when it's time to, when it's time for the Jews to travel. Aaron would cover, Aaron and his children would cover up all the holy vessels. They had special traveling clothes. They had at least two layers. Some articles had three layers of travel. And once they had it covered, then they started taking it, taking it apart. In our Parsha, we only have the work of the family of Kahas. And as we said, Kahas carries the holy objects, the menorah, the, the shulchan, the arad, all the holy things, they're in charge of carrying. Next week's Parsha, we're going to pick up with the other, with the other sons. Oh, we finished. We finished yeah. Parsha. It's so amazing. Unbelievable. It's because there's a lot of numbers. Yes. Yeah. So now we have things that we have to talk about. Okay. First of all, first of all, um, what is the deal with this whole Chumash being called Bamidbar? Right? The desert, like, what's going on over there? What's happening with that? So, um, so, the, so a lot of the commentaries talk about the idea of what, is the, what are the qualities of the desert? Dry. Dry. Vast. Vast. Empty. Hot. Desolate. desolate all these kinds... Oh, that's a good word. Nice <laughs> word. Nice word, Lila. Um, these are all words that describe a desert. And, they t- and, and if you want, and, and I'm going to talk about the idea, if you want to be able to access Hashem, if you want, Hashem is going to speak to Moshe in the desert. Revelation was in the desert. When Moshe had Sigurd, when Moshe saw the burning bush, it was in the desert. Every time we have this revelation, it's in a place of desert. And before we talk about the idea, where is the place that we can make ourselves a little bit of a desert? If we can take away our preconceived notions, if we can take away our ego, our sense of how things are meant to work, it has to be this way and be open to what is available. What is, what is Hashem telling us it should be? Not us coming and saying, hello, this is what it looks like. This is the reality of the world. What do you mean we're not, you know, Torah says blah, blah, blah. The first place we need to do is that we need to empty ourselves a little. We need to be a place that isn't really... Um, it, it isn't really a place um, that's full of itself. You know, the Medrash uses the example that that uh, a, a king went to one sit, one country and everybody ran away, and then he ran away, and then the king went to another country and he ran away, and then he went to a third country, he went and it was fine. And, and Medrash says Hashem went to the mountains about giving the Torah, and then Hashem left, and he went to the oceans, and then he went to the desert. Oh, the desert's my place, right? Very often, when we are in a relationship, we say that we are loving the other person, but it's almost, a, what are we getting out of it? 
We have our own personality. We bring ourselves to the table. And my loving this other person, engaging in this relationship with another person, enhances me. It makes me fuller, richer, able, which is not a bad thing. I, I wanted to just say, that's not a bad thing. But in the context of Torah, Hashem says, can you be in a place of receiving whatever I have to give you, not because, and I know this sounds funny to say, not because of what you can give back to it, but because you can be there to receive Torah. And that's the vastness place. At the same time, one of the things we know about the, about the desert is that it is extremely hot. Whenever we talk about very hot, we're always talking about the desert. Besides the desert, what's hot? We always talk about or passion. Passion is hot. Passion is fire. Fire is hot. We want Hashem's like I want you to be passionate about your relationship with Hashem, but in a way of emptiness, in a way of not because oh this is the best. I, I know it sounds a terrible thing to say. Like this fills me up and this completes me because yes, Torah does fill me up and Torah does complete me. But it really completes us when we are first an empty vessel and we're like, God, I'm yours. What do you want from me? What do you ask of me? What are you saying to me? How am I supposed to react to you and, and from there build with fire? So it's, a, it's, it's almost like two opposite things that are being asked of us at the same time and we're definitely being given the ability to... Uh, we're given the ability to do it, and that's why we are having that happen to us. That's why we're, we're having this introduction of the desert, of the timing, and the olamoid. Olamoid means it's, it's private, right? We're going into a space. It's not, we're not tweeting out our relationship. Guess who I just spoke to last night? God and I were hanging out, you know? Um, uh, the olamoid is a place of privacy. In fact, till the Mishkan is built, Moshe Men Hashem, wherever, in Egypt, at the burning bush, like it wasn't necessarily, meaning it was, nobody else heard it, but it wasn't necessarily a place of privacy. Here we're highlighting the place of Olamod, of it being a place of private, of a private relationship. It doesn't necessarily have to be out there for everybody to see. I want to look at Rashi for a second. Okay? Because I want, I want to pause and then we're going to go to Rashi. We always read Chomish Bamidbar before Shavuot, Right? We, we mentioned this. Last week we didn't have class, but last week was the end of Chomish Vayikra. It has all the curses and the maledictions. Isn't that a nice word? Maledictions. We know, only ever use it in relation to the to Chomish, I think. Maledictions. So that was last week. So, so the Mepharshim talked about the idea when they set up, like when the Chachamim set up the schedule for the Torah reading, they always said, they said that, that, that the Bamidbar has to be before Shavuos. Sometimes you have Bamidbar and another parasha, but this week, like, like we have next week, Ishuas, ah! Next week, Ishuas, right? So we always have Bamidbar as, sort of as a buffer for, so we don't go from that terrible place of all those curses into receiving the Torah. It's just like, if, you know, I love that the assumption is that we are so connected to the parsha that we would be so devastated and we wouldn't be able to go into the Yadif with Simcha if we were coming off of that. And I, I, I think it's definitely something to strive for, but that's what the Mepharshim talked about the idea. It's like a buffer. We have a buffer between, uh, between Bechul Kaisai and, and, um, and Shavuos. And the Rebbe says, that's not enough of a reason to, like, the anti-reason, like it should be a buffer for the other parshias, like 
like that's great, but there's got to be more to that. So to get to more to that, let's look into Rashi for a second. So Rashi says over here a couple of things. Why does Hashem count in the Jewish people? First of all, Rashi says, because Hashem loves them. He counts them all the time. Okay? Um, we count the things that we love. So he counts us when we left Egypt, when we fell after the Chet Egel, he counted us to know how many are left. And now when it comes time to, uh, to put his Shekhin on them, he counts them again. Okay? So, Nisan, who come a Mishkan? Um, and so now the, the Mishkan was set up a month ago, and now a month later, um, a month later, uh, Hashem's going to count them. What's this idea of counting? Okay, first of all, on the most simple sense, it says you count, you matter, you're important, right? And it's not just you know who's doing this census. It's not like, you know, like the, you know, everybody ever had to answer a census? Mm-hmm. People come to your door and it's like, right? Uh, they took the people instead of playing Shesh and the Shuk and now they're coming to do the census. No, Moshe and Aaron and Nassim are going to do the census and they're going to count everybody. And, and they're going family to family. Remember I said, we're doing this a family count. Moshe's like, how am I supposed to count the kids in the tent? So Hashem says to Moshe, you stand outside the tent and a voice is going to come out and say, that's how many children are in the tent. So... He, it wasn't just sit back and I'll give you the number. Like Moshe was an active participant in this and counting the people. And the, and the term that's used is su'u, to uplift. When we stand in front of Moshe, when we stand in front of Moshe, we are uplifted. Moshe automatically uplifts us in our counting, understanding that we have a very specific place. Like we talked about the count. It's, it's you know, there's a, an expression like a, a Yiddish-ish, you know, I guess it is Yiddish. A chassid is a masudr, that a chassid is somebody who's organized. God's camp is very organized. Every single family, every single tribe had very specific spaces and places and where they should go. And they, and, and they all were told, you count, you matter, you're important. Now, um, one of the things that the Rebbe highlights is the idea that within counting, we have, was it Amber, did you not understand something? I just, why have certain tribes, like, named under, like... Who's the head? Why are they the head? Yeah. Okay, different question. We're going to get back to it. Okay. Okay. Um, uh, we know that, um, that it, there's, there's a halachic thing to counting as well, right? If you, there's always, these, I don't know why there's always an example, but if some of your milk fell into your pot of chicken soup, mm-hmm. right, what do we know? One sixtieth. Okay, if it's one sixtieth, it's it's bottle. It's not relevant anymore, right? And it's interesting that in halacha there are many different ways that things get counted. So, for example, um, there you have something that could be nullified: one in sixty, one in a hundred, one in a thousand, one in a majority, and different things have have different um, have, have different, I guess, rules for how they work for being nullified. One, the, there's a halachic principle. Something that is counted can never be nullified. So, for example, if you have something that is, back to our kosher example, if you have something that is very important for this particular um, dish and it turns out to be the wrong thing, it is never nullified. So, for example, they always use, you know, one of the examples we're always taught is gelatin. You don't put a lot of gelatin to 
gel something, but because without that it would not happen, that's considered something important and it's a double shiva meaning, something that's counted and therefore it's never nullified. When we talk about how we, things in the world, right? You go to the shuk, you buy some things, you buy by a kilo, you know, you buy, sometimes they're selling you a bag of something. Sometimes they're selling you things by the piece, right? Something in a, in a, that's just paid, something that's just sold by weight is considered less important and that could be nullified because it's not a very, it's not really, not counting each piece. What happens to, things of eggs are sold by the piece. A dozen eggs. You don't buy a kilo of eggs. You buy a dozen eggs. What about a diamond? You don't even buy five diamonds. You buy every single diamond has its own qualifications and its own measurements, right? So as we're standing before Shavuos and as we're going into our longer journey of, this is, you know, this is a short journey over here, but it's, we're, we're, why are we counting now? Because we're supposed to be going into Eretz Yisrael, right? They just finished the whole signing situation. We're supposed to be going to, into Eretz Yisrael. There are all kinds of challenges that we're going to have. And Hashem wants to say and make sure that we know we will never be diluted amongst the nations. We are something that is counted. We are a Dover Shevaminian. Every single one of us is counted. So it doesn't matter. We're going to go travel through history and we're going to come to a country and we're not the majority. But because we're a Dover Shevaminian, because we are counted and because we count, we will never... And, and, the, and, and, the, and the nations of the world have tried time and time again to say, just sort of join our melting pot, join our whatever, be like us. You're so little. How can you withstand it? We are counted. And Hashem says, before we, we're now, you know, if we were just starting to learn Chumash for the first time and we're leaving Sinai, we're going there, so we don't know that there's like this, going to be this 38-year hiccup along the way. We don't know that. We're like, Going to Eretz Yisrael, we're seeing what kind of an army we have. We're trying to see what's going on. Yalla, let's go. Hashem's like, you need to have that protects you, that you don't go into the land of Canaan or America or Canada or South America, wherever it is, you know, wherever it is that we live and say, we're so tiny. We're so irrelevant. How can we even hold up our, how can we hold our ground? We are a Dover Sheva Minion, and that is how we need to go into Shavuos. That is what we need to do in order to go to receive the Torah, because what are we going to do with the Torah? We're now going to be traveling with the Torah. We're going to be learning the Torah. We're going to be going into, taking the Torah into all different kinds of places. Then that is, um, Hashem's like, you're never going to be, you're, you're never going to be, you know, Buttle, you're never going to be, I, don't, I forgot the word, nullified. nullified, thank you. You're just never going to be nullified because you're something that's counted. I want to say another thing. I have time, this is really good, I'm very excited. <laughs> Either I'm talking fast or nobody has any questions. Um, uh, Amber asked a question about who gets to be the heads of each, of each uh, thing. So, so, okay, so for a second. The Jews now are getting ready. Like we said, we're getting ready to travel. We're going to be heading toward the land of Israel, and we need to set up an army. And, they, and the question was, how do, we, how do we travel? So Rashi says in a different Rashi that they, I forgot which one over here. Uh, I saw it in the Rashi, and I don't know where I saw it. Um, I can't see it now. Um, when Yaakov Avinu passed away, 
when Yaakov Avinu passed away, it was time to carry him to the land of Israel. He set up. He what? Oh, um, he set up where everybody's going to stand. So he t- said, these three carry me from the north, these three carry me from the south, these three carry me from the east, these three carry me from the west. Um, in general, each of, the, each of the ones that are the top one are the oldest of the, oldest or most important of this group, okay? Um, that's, that's, now, the, just a parenthetical interesting thing, the flags, each... Each flag was the color of that tribe's stone on the breastplate. Okay? There is a conversation amongst the sages. Were there only four tribes, or did every tribe have a sub-flag? No, not four tribes. Were there only four flags, or were there 12 flags? Jury's out. But these four, for sure, were big. And there was also a very practical situation. We, sp- we mentioned at a different time that the Jewish camp was 12 mil wide. It's a square. 12 mil by 12 mil, which is about 12 kilometers by 12 kilometers. Could you imagine getting lost? How do you find your place? But if there's a massive flag of a color that you recognize, you know that that's where I need to be, I need to be going. So it's a place of identification, it's a place of hanging out, of where, who are my people, and, and doing over there. Um, um, so, before, one more thing, and then I'm gonna get to the point that I want to make. Um, Farshim also asked the question, why could Hashem count Levi with everybody else? Like the Bali Moshe talk about it a lot. Why couldn't Levi be counted? Like, so Rashi says, because Hashem saw that whoever was going to be counted was going to end up not going into the land of Israel. The decree of dying in the desert was going to happen to them, and Hashem didn't want them to be part of that. They're also the, the legionnaires of the king. They, they work for Hashem, so they're going to... And the Bali Moshe say a very interesting thing, that um, it's not just enough what we do. It's also important who we do it with. Okay, because wouldn't Hashem be able to differentiate? Well, those people sinned at the, at the golden calf, and those people didn't. So punish those and don't punish those. Yes, but there is this place of guilty by association, not as Hashem is concerned, but I'm just saying as far as how we need to choose our lives. We need to put ourselves. We need to position ourselves in a place that will best help us be the people that we want to be. Okay. Um, so I'll tell you a quick little story, that, a tangential story. So when my parents were looking to buy their first house, they wrote to the Rebbe and they asked if you know, they wanted to buy a house and they, they mentioned the location and the Rebbe wrote back to them that they should look at the neighbors. So they looked at the neighbors and they saw a bunch of Jewish people and they said, oh great, this is a good place for us to buy a house. So they bought a house. And within five years, maybe even less, of them moving into that little neighborhood, all the older Jewish couples who lived on that block had sold, moved to Florida, and the, and the place was no longer safe. It, it, it's, this is in the, in the you know, 60s, 70s when Brooklyn is turning over. It was no longer safe. So when they go to look for their next house, because they couldn't stay there, um, they looked around. They, they had that same message in their head, look at the neighbors. And when they saw young Jewish families, couples raising children, they said, oh, this is, these are the people we need to be hanging out with. And so when they bought the house, they actually hung the letter from the Rebbe that says to look at your neighbors at the entrance, at the, at the entrance to our house. Who we surround ourselves with is very important. Now, tangential to that, um, here, and here's a spoiler. The tribe of Kahas is over here in the south. 
okay? And if we remember our Bible stories, coming up in a few parshas, we're going to have a major rebellion coming out of Kahas. Anybody remember? Who's from Kahas who complains about Moshe being leader? Korach. Korach. There's a massive rebellion with Korach. And you know who gets sucked into it? Their neighbors. Always Reuben. Reuben and Shimon. Yeah. Get involved with it. And they are, and uh, most of the people who end up dying in that rebellion, Tigzunt, are not from the tribe of Kahas. They're not from the family of Kahas. They're from the tribe of Reuben and Shimon. And they could easily have said, I didn't pick my neighbors. You told me to live next to them. God, you put us here. Why are you blaming me? Right? Mm-hmm. And again, the Bali Moser say, just because you're placed someplace doesn't mean that you aren't ultimately responsible for your behavior. So like, yes, we do believe that everything is Hashgacha Pratis and where we are and how we ended up there. Sometimes there are conscious choices that we make and then we try to make the best choices that we can. And sometimes there are choices that, I don't want to say they're just made, but sometimes they are sort of circumstance or whatever it is. And if we would have had a choice, maybe we would have chosen differently, but here we are and this is what we did. We still are Bali Bahir, we still have free choice. How do we behave and how do we live and what do we do? So that's that's just a, a side thing. Now, another thing that it talks about in Zohar is where does this whole camp come from? Right? So the Zohar tells us that um, at Revelation, Hashem came down and he had an army of angels around him. There were 22,000 angels, the first uh, like ring around him. And beyond that, there were another bunches of angels and there were 600,000 angels in the outside ring. And when the Jewish people saw that, they said, oh, we want that. We want that. We would love to be able to be the vehicle that carries Hashem. Right? It's called a Merkava. It's called a chariot. We want to be able to do that. And if you actually look at the numbers over here, first of all, there are 22,000 Levites who are the first ring around the Mishkan where Hashem is. If you look at the different camps, and I don't have this there in front of me, I'm sorry, but the tribe of Yehuda corresponds to the angel... Uh, this is Uriel. This is Raphael. This is Gabriel. And this is... Michael. Because Gvura, Gvura is here, Gavriel is here. Gvura is with Yehuda. Uh, Reuven is with Mercy. Michael is the angel of mercy. Um, and we know that Reuven was the first one to try to help Yosef, so that's his corresponding angel. Ephraim has the angel of um, Raphael, because Ephraim in the future was going to, their, their kings actually stopped the Jewish people from going down to the Beis HaMikdash, so they needed healing from that, so they had uh, Uriel, and the tribe of Dan had, sorry, they have Riphael, Dan has Uriel of the light, because they were the ones who actually enforced the ban that Ephraim had set up, that the kings from Ephraim had set up, and they didn't let the people go through, so they needed to have the light shining to them. And if you actually look in the Zohar, where they have accounts of the numbers, it 100% matches the totals of each camp. It, it totally matches the numbers. You have, somebody has to look up the numbers no, for the, me. the angels. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so here we have Gabriel, Michael, Raphael, and Uriel. Okay? One of the angels was the one that was sovereign, no? 
All of them, Gabriel and Michal, they were they were all over there with him. Yeah. Raphael, they were there with him. Um, these are these are the only angels that actually have names, like permanent names. But otherwise, they just sort of shift with their thing. And what 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 the what Nachmanides talks about the idea, and the Shalot talks about the idea that the Torah talks about. It talks about here, but it's really talking about there. Like they're t- describing events that happened down here, but it's really talking about events. It's, it's really describing realities that happened up in heaven. And so when we talk about the idea, did it always stay like this? No. The numbers shifted. There's a certain place where there was a certain conformity in the numbers, to be honest, in the general numbers. But the individual camps changed. By the next camp, the, when we have a census in Pinchas at the end of the Schumish, Shimon is going to be down like more than half of their tribe is going to be gone. Um, uh, but what, what, what Torah, is in, Torah is putting into Torah, which is a lesson for us and eternally true, the reality that for one space in time, our divine and, and, and our, our heavenly and our earthly realities totally matched. The Jews said, we want to be a carrier for Hashem. We want to be the ones that, car- we, we want to be his chariot. We want to do his will. We want to, you know, be his people, and for one moment, that actually totally was reflected heaven and earth. Now today, the numbers are not the same, but the ability and our yearning to say we want to be a carrier and a chariot for Hashem to do his will, that is still a true statement. And the fact that we once had that as an actual reality gives us the ability today to not be nullified, not be you know, to be able to stand up to challenge, to be able to speak our truth and to say, this is my neshama and how is my neshama going to shine and am I, reflect- am I accurately reflecting what Hashem wants of me? And if we could be the Bamidbar person, if we could be in that place where we can sort of quiet our ego and listen to what Hashem wants of me right now, then we're in the position to act and to actually be a chariot for Hashem in our daily lives. So that is my first biggest brachatas, that we tap into that ability, that we step into that space, that we acknowledge that we have the ability to, to hold God here in this world. We reflect Hashem wherever it is we go and we do, and we should be proud of that and not be afraid of that, and to be able to honorably uh, be that persona. Another thing that I want to say this week, first of all, we know, and we didn't start with this, and I'm sorry we didn't start with this, but tonight and tomorrow and celebrating today is Yom Yerushalayim. So we're celebrating the reunification of the holiest city that Hashem says, this is my city. So we're celebrating the reunification, our ability to go and pray at the Kotel. We're hoping, please God, very soon, not only in our lifetimes, but in our very soon lifetimes, that we're actually able to go up and see a Beis HaMikdash in its glory where the whole world will accurately reflect Hashem's um, Hashem's vision. This Shabbos is Shabbos Mavarchim. Oh. <laughs> it's Shabbos Mavarchim. We're going to be blessing the month of Sivan. Rosh Chodesh is, I think, Sunday and Monday, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I think Sunday and Monday, or either Sunday or Sunday and Monday. Um, so we have, so we have this transition. Okay, Sivan is the month that we're getting the Torah, and Er, which we. Which uh, Lisa spoke about so beautifully, ER being a month of healing, and how we're having this transition from that month of healing, and how we use that perhaps as our entry into Torah. And the Torah should be a place of healing, so we're sort of combining it and moving into the new month. And next week is Shavuos. 
And so really, I want to give us the bracha, the, the bracha that Hasidim always give is that we should, we should have a kabbalah ha-tayra b'simcho b'pnimius. We should have, we should receive the tayra with joy and in a real internal fashion. It's not, tayra is going to be given, okay? The revelation is going to happen Maybe not with thunder and lightning and on a, you know, Steven Spielberg quality, you know, production. But it will nonetheless, when we come to Shavuos, we will nevertheless have Hashem giving us the Torah. And our bracha, my bracha this, to all of us, is that we be present, not just physically there, but to be able to really receive it in a way that's so meaningful and that's so deep and that's so real and with such joy, because if it's not with joy, we miss the point. Have an awesome rest of the day, and a good Shabbos.